0: Welcome to the Financial Advisor Editors podcast. My name is Simony Kirieku, Editor of Financial Advisor. And today we're joined by some industry stalwarts to talk to us about future proofing your advice businesses through helping younger people to future proof their finances. I'm sure we've all seen the figures for the great wealth transfer. An estimated 5.5 trillion pounds is expected to pass down the generations so by 2030 people aged 30 to 60 in the uk will see a share of that pot coming into their bank accounts that is just the uk globally the figures are even more eye-popping in the us baby boomers a generation of people born between 44 and 64 are expected to transfer 30 trillion in wealth to the younger generations over the next few years and this year alone and um, the next generation in Europe will get $3.2 trillion and $1.9 trillion will go to children in Asia. But with this comes responsibility. As Shakespeare once said, some have greatness thrust upon them. So what do they do with it? What happens to the young people when they have this money thrust upon them? Some of the the uber wealthy probably will have a family office taking care of them, but for the greater majority of young people, they just won't have considered financial advice for themselves. Maybe parents who might be your clients have referred their children to you, but the figures suggest that actually the majority of advice clients are in their late 50s upwards, not in their 20s and their 30s. So how do you reach that generation, that generation which in a few years' time, will become one of the wealthiest generations ever recorded. And how does this reflect your advice business? If you're going to future-proof your business, you need to get your succession planning right. And to do so, you're going to need to bring in more younger advisors. And to get the younger advisors, you will also get younger clients. So it becomes a bit of a catch-22, but in a really positive way, you get your younger advisors you future proof your business you get your succession planning right and you can get your clients succession planning right as well and it sort of feeds each other well that's 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 the aim that's the hope well joining us to discuss these issues is tim Fassam, he's director of government relations and policy at the personal investment management and financial advice association we have Giles dunning partner at law firm Stephen scone and sean godfrey head of marketing at st james's place welcome all um, I'm going to start by asking, how can we attract the next generation of savers? Sean, can I go to you first for this, please? How do we attract the next generation of savers?
1: Um, I suppose it depends which age group you're looking at, because um, so below 21, is that, is that an age group and is it north of 21 to 25, that sort of thing? I think it's uh, education. Um, we have seen a fairly significant increase in the work that we do with um, teenagers and younger primary school with educational presentations and programs. So I think the main thing is, is education, but not just about such things as an investment. Some really relatively simple things can, can help people so the difference between a mortgage and rent for example what what does a rental agreement look like so really basic elements of things because i think sometimes we go past um the sort of starting position of the information that they want so one of the things i'd probably like to see is more seeking to understand what they want to know Hmm. i think sometimes the older generation in financial planning financial services we can think it's a really good idea to tell younger people what they want what they need to know, but actually it wouldn't it be a bit rather different to ask them what they want to know and, and yeah. we tell them. So seek yeah. to understand is probably where I get. To.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Giles, I could see you nodding there, particularly when you said it's it's about getting them to tell us rather than getting us to tell them.
2: Um absolutely I think the clearly the next generation of savers is also the next generation of clients and I think they're going to want to do things on their own terms. So I think um, for advisors, I think it's important that they um, they look to foster relationships with younger savers and younger clients early, perhaps even before they, they get the money. Because I know that there's a um, certainly a perception that it's hard to access financial advice before you've got the finance there to be advised upon. So perhaps more of a, um, a push to, to, to access younger people and. Particularly on their own terms, will, um, will you know, so the seed of future success for financial advisors.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Tim, do we need to be all incredibly tech savvy and uh, have sort of flashy gizmos and apps to attract younger savers? Or, uh, or are our advisors just able to do it without, without all those things? Um, I think
3: I think it's all about balance, isn't it? And um, and being realistic about what, what people want. Because one of the things we've seen during the pandemic is this uh, stereotype that young people want tech and older people aren't comfortable with it hasn't been true because actually older clients have been perfectly happy using digital platforms to engage during the pandemic. And I know some of our members have been very pleasantly surprised by how flexible clients have proven to be. I think the critical thing is to understand how younger generations are are fundamentally economically different from the generations that use uh, advisors and I'll, i'll throw out a couple of examples so the under 55s if you control for inflation haven't had a pay rise in 25 years on average now if you look at how um behaviorally People build up wealth. How do you encourage the regular saving that used to be a um, a, a regular feature of the market using uh, products that, that that would now be a dirty word like endowments?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: it's very it's much easier to get people to save on a regular basis if they're getting wealthier. And um, you have schemes in the US, for example, like Save More Tomorrow, that say um, when you get a pay rise, you pre-commit to putting a proportion of that that away and you don't feel it you don't you don't reduce your standard of living at all and so this generation hasn't had the opportunity to save without making sacrifices um Mm -hmm. through through income so you've got a very income stagnant group so then you have to look at, uh, at how they have built up assets and The thing that seems to have worked and has worked incredibly well with younger generations is automatic enrollment. And so this generation where they have built up assets have done so by doing nothing (laughs) and by disengaging. And so there's a real challenge to overcome that and get them to understand um, the opportunities that engaging with, with wealth uh, presents because as all the research shows, and there's research recent work from uh, from the International Longevity Center in Royal London and others, taking advice makes a significant difference to your long-term wealth. So these individuals are are losing out by not not taking advice. So so what can we do? What can we do to reach them? Well, technology is certainly part of it, and I think what you'll find with younger generations is there won't be a tolerance for um, things that they see as wasteful, so um, where they, they will not want to fill out the same form repeatedly. They will expect things to be relatively easy and straightforward. But if you look at what technology is good at and what technology is bad at, there, there's an a, um, AI expert that I, I quote quite a lot called Kai-Fu Lee, who's a Chinese AI investor. And he talks a lot about how algorithms are fantastic for financial decisions, but they're terrible at empathy. And so one of the critical factors of, of uh, for financial advice with this group, and with technology in general, is to focus on emotional intelligence and the social skills that we know good advisors are so so great at. Um, and that will be a critical, critical part of it. Um, but also the... And this will go to, I think, the conversation we'll have later. We've got to have a sector that reflects the diversity of the world that we live in. And that does mean attracting um, more young people into the sector. And I, uh, in a previous life, helped set up the Financial Services Skills Commission, which look is looking explicitly at how, how we do this into financial services more, more broadly but also that it has the wider diversity on sexuality, on race, uh, on gender, because that generation, I think, is increasingly intolerant of, um, of what they see as um, as as a lack of diversity in the organisations they want to be a part of, so it's I, I think there's a huge amount that the sector can do. There's real value for that group, but it does require a real, a real understanding of how they're different.
0: Absolutely, and that sort of comes into the the value of advice, is reaching out to all um, people of all social backgrounds, and encouraging them to think and engage more with their money and to help them and be educated on the value of money. But it's very interesting what you said about uh, auto-enrollment has made us savers by default. We're only saving because we're ignorant about it in, in some ways. If we knew more and understood more, perhaps we'd be more engaged. And I think, Giles, you, you also mentioned that education was key. Could you talk a little bit now about how we can educate younger people on the value of money and the value of advice?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of the value of money, I, I suppose it's really going through going through the basics for people, um, making sure that they have an understanding of the value of savings, how how difficult life can be if you get to retirement age and you haven't saved properly, that you haven't created a pension or something like that, and that's obviously why the auto enrolment scheme was brought in by the government because they could see that probably due to the lack of education, lack of the ability to save because people haven't had pay rises at certain generations in real terms for some years that they had to step in and always do it by default as as, as tim has said so i think fostering that education and making people understand how important it is um, will will have a real impact and in terms of um i suppose uh, liaising with clients and um educating clients i'll just pick up on one of the points again i think that tim made that being an advisor myself, um, the big threat as it's perceived by probably people of my generation, and I'm relatively young, late 30s, is AI coming in and doing all of our jobs for us. Mm-hmm. But what I can see is that you will never be able to substitute that real client relationship that you can foster with somebody uh, over a number of years where you become their trusted advisor, mm-hmm. you empathize with their circumstances. Um, I'm not sure AI is ever, well, in the foreseeable future anyway going to get to the level where it can do that so I think fostering those those real relationships with clients and providing a bespoke service will always be very important alongside not behind on the technology.
0: Yeah absolutely Um, and I think sort of educating clients and sort of uh, getting them involved more in financial education, financial knowledge, that helps because the more they know, the more they can pass on to their children. And uh, Sean, I think I'm correct in saying that St. James's Place often holds a sort of educational talks for its clients, don't you? Uh, sort of helping to engage your clients and get them more interested and more informed?
1: Yeah, sort of a range of uh, discussions and conversations for clients depending on uh, what the individual practice and part and the advisors are looking for. Most recently we've started a full blown education process called we call START, which is aimed specifically at sort of 18 to 30 year olds. Um, and actually it's delivered by, uh, members of our St. Joseph's place community who are aged between 18 to 30, mm-hmm. rather than, um, me, for example, you know, north of 50, um, grey hair. So, it, it, again, it's just about the, the, how you face off to individuals, not just about what you say, it's a similar thing, but it's a, just about um, regular, uh, wide-ranging conversations, not just about the value of money, but um how to balance a budget. You know, it's quite mm-hmm. noticeable how many of our financial planners at the moment are being asked to get involved in... I suppose the real basic level of cash flow forecasting that we talk about, you know, um, for longer term planning, but actually they're looking at people and help today who are facing difficulties because they may be furloughed and you're, you're having to get involved in some really basic levels of financial planning. And that's probably where we also need to think that we do offer a very wide range of services to, to clients, um, not just about, you know, as Giles talks about, which is, you know, the, um, Planning for a pension, which is terribly important, but if you're in your twenties and thirties, you know, having a proper conversation about what's going to happen to you now, about rental incomes, getting a mortgage, how to save for the short term, medium, and longer term. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's a range of of, um, of work we do. I think one of the things that we just we just launched a survey uh, you, with St. James's Place, particularly with Eddie Grant, um, mm-hmm. from technical connection and boring money, where. We are trying to uh, have a great debate around the value of advice because I think that's really important to try and understand where where the the product or the service might deliver certain things, but it's the value of the advice. You know, Giles talks about AI, the value of that advice, being able to understand people's individual circumstances. And one of the things that um, we've identified is it's probably ranging between 10 and 30% better returns. For those people that get qualified, high quality advice, as opposed to those that DIY, and and I mm. think that's a big benefit that we we as a profession, not just St. David's Place, but we as a profession should should start uh, promoting because I think then it it shows what we can do for you, you know, uh, as an individual, and I think that's really key. What we can do for you.
0: Mm. Can I stick with you uh, you here because you've said that you're getting sort of a younger clients and you know just a few years ago i used to fall into that bracket so uh, it's with some internal angst that i talk now about younger people in their 30s um but you're getting younger people to educate younger people uh, why is it so important um for you as a business why is reaching the next generation of savers good for your long-term business
1: well, you, you talked about the transfer of, of wealth that's going to happen over the next few years. I, um, I don't even understand what five and a half trillion actually looks like. It's a huge number. But if you are not connected to the next two or three generations, because we, lest we forget how many times do we see great grandparents still being alive, whereas many years ago that was not the case. So what we're trying to do with intergenerational wealth transfer is that actually start having probably mini family office conversations So whereas what's happened in the past, you would talk to the parents and the grandparents, actually, there's some really serious uh, things that are going to happen over the next 10 years, including death and transfer of money. Why would you not involve the younger generation in those conversations and convince the parents, perhaps, to change the habits of a lifetime to actually involve their children in their planning? So some of it is about education of the parents to say, look, you really do need to help. They are going to receive some fairly significant lumps of money. You need to help them understand that there are you know, advice and help uh, and guidance around that, so why don't we involve them with the conversation? So you can talk to them as a group. But actually, don't forget to talk to them as individuals and and what's important to them. But we'll go back to the point I said earlier: seek to understand what they want to know at the moment in time, um, and then involve them in the decision. Perhaps you look at long-term care, and that's a classic case of where the younger generations are encouraged to get involved, not not least because you know, of of um, helping arrive at the right decision for the for the individual as to how to how to plan for that.
0: Mm, absolutely, and I think lockdown has also encouraged more younger people to start thinking long-term about their finances because they've seen suddenly how important it is to make sure that their grandparents and great-grandparents get the care that they deserve and to get the treatment and the, and the protection they deserve. So uh, I know from speaking to a lot of younger people, I do a lot of school's work, um, some of them have even been involved in the care process during lockdown um helping their grandparents to the toilet helping to clean them and you know for a 15 year old suddenly seeing that that is is something that might happen to them it's kind of making them think about their future so hopefully all these sort of educational things might make them think more long term about you know can i get enough money so that i can afford good home help that sort of thing um tim i, I saw you nodding quite a lot when sean was talking so uh, um what do you what, what do you think about this how do why is it so important to reach this next generation of savers and why is it good for your members' long-term business?
3: Mm. I mean, if you want to have a long-term business, you need to uh, have that continuity on both um, savers and advisors. The average age of, of a financial advisor in the UK is significantly higher than average, um, as well as as well as well the client. We do have to be a little bit careful about the, the intergenerational transfer because there's uh, average life expectancy starts getting into the high 80s and late 90s if you're passing wealth to your children your children may well be in retirement when you're uh, when, when, when you um, sadly pass away um, so it will it will be um, wealth transferred down to grandchildren and while that is becoming increasingly common it is still not the norm um, so we do have a, a risk actually with this generation um, talking at a sort of societal level, that you end up with, with a care pump where money gets handed down to generations in retirement that gets used for social care, and actually that generation that's now in their 30s um, maybe don't get to access it. So it's quite quite complex. Um, but uh, in terms of, of, of our, um, our sector, um, Accessing these individuals is really the only way to have a business in the next, you know, 30 to 40 years. Now, in terms of what you do in, in education, it really does need to be a, a cradle to grave approach. And, and part of the reason for that is um I was quite heavily involved in um both the setup of the money advice service and the campaign to get financial education in schools. And one of the reasons for that is your propensity to be a saver or a spender is largely set by eight years old and now i'm um, i'm reading my four month old the economics for babies board book but that might be a little bit over the top um but but you do need to start getting in very very early because these behavioral traits and the behavioral traits are the critical element that, that determines people's financial outcomes are set very, very early. We also have a lot of um, what, what you might call uh, economic and financial dissociation. So the, the, the person that used to run the personal finance education group used to use this, this example, which is, A child sees their parent go to the supermarket, put a seemingly random amount of things in a trolley, hand over a rectangular piece of plastic, and often get given money in the form of cashback. So their ability to understand the basics from everyday life uh, is, is very limited. So expanding financial education into the primary curriculum, ensuring that it's high quality in the secondary curriculum will be really critical. And that will, I think, in, uh, revolve around two things. It will be the behavioral factors, keeping an eye on your, uh, your finances. Sean um, very rightly talked about the basics of budgeting, which is obviously absolutely critical. But also I think that they know when and how to ask for help because you occasionally hear people talking about the importance of explaining compound interest or the details of pension policy. And that's a big ask. Actually, um, if you've got young people who know that when they need to make a major financial decision that they should ask for help, that it's okay to ask for help and they will benefit from asking for help, that I think will lead to the better outcomes. And that will have to then move through the older ages. So you look at um, who are the most trusted individuals as people get into working age and where do they see that that, um, nexus of financial decision-making, it's often their employer because their employer has their pension, their salary they, they have auto enrollment. So what can we do to reach people through their employer to educate people um, uh, uh, through through that medium? How can we use things like the pension advice allowance to to increase access? And then finally, how can you um, uh, use life events? you know I mentioned my daughter um that was certainly be dangerous to make policy by anecdote, but that certainly incentivized me to go and uh, talk to an advisor about my life cover. When you buy a home, when when your parents go into care, these are all critical life events and understanding how to reach young people. I think Giles talked about this as well, I'm sure, where it's relevant to them and their life and they want to hear about it and educating them at that point rather than at a stage when they're not going to be receptive to that message. Will be be really critical, and care will be a huge part of this. And and COVID, I think you're quite right. So many has fundamentally shifted the debate on care, and this has been a, a an issue the government has kicked down the road for for at least a decade, uh, and is running out of road now um, to to force the analogy, uh, and and when they make those decisions about long-term financing and that will be absolutely critical to the advice sector and particularly engaging these younger generations.
0: Absolutely I was very interested to hear what you you were saying and uh, you talked about um, you used the specific phrase cradle to grave which of course was the uh, NHS idea or conception to resurrection Um, (laughs) that's one of them Um, our advisors now the National Wealth Service? Uh, Giles, I'll over to you.
2: Um, I, I mean, I, I, mean I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I suppose um, that, that there is perception at the moment there's, there's an advice gap, I think, for um, uh, certain segments of society, particularly those that have, have less money at an earlier age. And you do see in the press more and more um, written about the ability of younger people to be able to access good quality advice. So I would say that, yes, I think there is an onus on the sector and the profession to be able to in some way provide that advice that is accessible to all generations, uh, regardless of their financial circumstances, um, because you know everybody needs financial advice. I think that's clear from the conversation we've been having. Um, whether you're a high net worth individual or somebody that just needs to be saving for retirement or to be able to look after elderly parents. So um, I think it is important and just picking up on a couple of things that Tim mentioned, I mean I've got young children myself and actually you know what they relate to isn't actually real money sometimes. I've got an eight-year-old son who talks more about fee bucks online than he does about pounds, always hassling my wife to buy him those with her credit card. and then also I think people coming through the higher education system, I think there's a dangerous point there where you become very accustomed to debt, almost dangerously so. Um, and before you even start your working life, you're in debt and it's not a scary thing, I suppose. And um, yeah, I think there is a, there, there's a big need for advice. And I, and I suppose, yes, it is the IFA sector that really does need to step in and, and be able to provide that to the next generation
0: so if we if we look at succession planning then for we're looking at um getting young younger people to think about their finances we're educating them encouraging their parents or grandparents to think about bringing their youngsters into the advice process that's really good succession planning for younger people's wealth but how do we go about then using that um as a lever to sort of succession proof the advice business, because you know, like you said, someone who's in their sixties and seventies, maybe wanting to retire, will also want the firm to continue, uh, even in even in the same name, even in the same location. Um, so there's a, there's a, a growth aspect there as well to the firm, isn't there, Sean?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the specific responsibilities I have at St. James's Place is uh, the marketing and the engagement of the outside world for our academy, um, which. Was supposed to this year take on 240 individuals, but um, it, it stopped a little bit. But we will restart, um, and that's bringing you know new to financial planning uh, people into into the profession. Um, and the average age of that group of people is 33. Um, the, uh, last year, the uh, percentage of women in that group was thirty-four percent, which is very strong compared to the, the the norm in in our current profession. And I think that um, one of the things in terms of your succession planning that uh, I've always thought that um, if you have a financial planning practice, whatever type it is, it doesn't really matter; it's still offering financial planning advice. Um, then I think that you could probably find your succession. Um, through your education process of your clients. So you offer maybe you offer um, financial education for teens, as we do, um, financial education for uh, juniors, as a service to your clients. And eventually what you'll find, rather than go national, because it's going to be very difficult, as Tim will know, for a single national body to deliver financial education to what is millions of people out there, um, but I think you can start doing that as a service, and then ultimately, what you might find is that some of your clients' children—and I say children, as in you know, late twenties, early thirties—might mm-hmm. see um, the profession. And I think we we underestimate where we have moved over the years. So I talked to the London School of Economics recently about putting financial planning advice, not necessarily being an advisor, but maybe part of the process. Um, As a professional qualification because if you think about it now you can leave university you can join a financial planning practice you can then by the time you're 30 be chartered and that's Mm. that is a that is a professional route that i think we are miss we we are not if i can use the phrase we're not selling very well to to future generations of financial advisors because that's a, a really good career path and if i was looking at my own business and i had one the first place I would look for my succession and teaching, taking people into my practice is probably my client bank, because as much as anything else, they know what I do. So I don't have to go through the whole process of explaining what a financial advisor does. So that's, and I think that's where you then start building up. It's, there's some financials involved and all that sort of stuff, but imagine building effectively an office where you've got a range of people with a range of age, a range of diversity, facing off to the whole range of your clients at that different age and different uh, um, diversity groups. And I think that's really, really important. And I think also you'd be surprised, we, we have a uh, practice buyout uh, at uh, St. James's Place and have had since we started. You would be amazed how many clients are expecting you to talk to them about your succession planning. Because you talk to them about their succession planning, you would be staggered that they really want to know, well, what are your plans? And I think we don't, I think we're we're frightened of talking about our own retirement and saying at some point, I'm going to, you know, um, Charles, you're very young, but at some point, you know, turning around and saying, well, actually, I might uh, be moving on and my plans are here. This is what my plans are. And then we'll look after your next generation of your family. So I think it's about, you know, a lot about that as much as anything else. Okay. It's, um, I think it's a brilliant professional career that we have got. And I don't think we're doing enough with it as, as a, you know, marketing that as a professional career that you can come into for your entire life. I think it's a brilliant opportunity.
0: That's very, very exciting to hear. Tim, I'll go to you and then Giles very briefly to um, to wrap up. Thank you
3: no i I completely agree with sean i mean we uh when i talk to our members the recruitment of financial advisors comes up very very regularly as as a challenge in getting young people into the sector and uh, this is actually an issue for the whole financial services industry the top graduates now very much see the tech sector as the most attractive place to be and, and entrepreneurial careers so we have to think about how we can be more more um appealing to those that top talent coming out. Um, And with the Financial and Skills Commission um, and PIMFA looking at this more specifically at our our advisors, it's critical things. People have to see people who look like them. So we need more visible women, more visible ethnic minorities in the sector. Um, We need to be clearer about the benefits of the career, as as Sean says, the long-term nature of the career, the serious professional qualification. Um, the the um, opportunities at a time when young people are going to be leaving university in a very difficult job market, an area where there's a skill shortage is a very appealing um, place to work, but also that we we deal with some of the stereotypes uh, of the sector, that we do, we are a customer-focused sector, that we are, um, a, you know, a lot of the, the negative stories that we've had in the press about the bad actors in our sector are a lot louder than the good news stories about the great outcomes that the vast majority of customers' advice get. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity, and this is opening a can of worms right at the end, um, from ESG investing, which is going to be a absolutely critical part of the development of our sector and is increasingly important to to younger generations, but also is a sector younger generations want to work in. So again, another opportunity to, to engage them.
0: Absolutely. Giles, over to you.
3: Um, from my
2: kind of experience acting for financial advice firms, particularly for those that are looking at looking at selling or or, or moving on, succession planning has always been the perennial problem uh, for, for a number of those firms, and what I've taken from that is really the key to solving that issue, I think, is for firms, particularly business owners, to plan ahead, whatever their exit route or succession route may be, equally important to communicate it to both their advisors and their clients. I think that's a lot of issues wise
0: absolutely so it seems communication is key communicate with your clients about their succession plan Ask them for upward referrals downward referrals grandchildren referrals if necessary and speak to your clients also about your own succession planning bring new people on use apprenticeship schemes um, take advantage of kickstart and things like that to really bring um a new generation of advisors into the business. It is an exciting business. And uh, although these are very interesting times in which we live, they can also be very exciting times for the advice sector. Let's see if we can truly get a national wealth service going. Well, thank you very much, Sean, Tim, and Giles, for your contributions today. And thank you for listening.
3: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.